Good morning. Great to be with you again this morning. I'd ask you to open up your Bibles to the book of Philemon. It's only 25 verses, so uh, it might be, uh, um, you know, if you're going to thumb through, it's basically going to show up on like two pages. So <laughs> be careful on that one, okay? It comes right after the book of Titus that we looked at last week and right before the book of Hebrews. A network television show asked this question, what would you do? Some of you may have seen the show before. It, it, it contrives difficult situations uh, and uses hidden cameras to see how people would react in different ways. For example, a, a mother uh, might loudly criticize her overweight daughter. And both of these people are portrayed by actors. But nobody else knows that. And this is happening in a crowded restaurant. And many of the patrons are bothered, but most simply shake their heads in disgust. And when you see the different camera angles of the different people sitting there, they're just like thinking somebody, somebody needs to do something. But nobody does. They're all upset, but they don't take action. Except for a few. A few people do respond. And one man who chose to confront the mother, when asked why, he simply responded, I had to do the right thing. Well, in this letter to Philemon that we're going to look at this morning, Paul seems uh, to appeal to his colleague to do the right thing in a real, real difficult situation. And to give you some uh, biblical background before we dig on in, I'm going to read to you from Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read to you from Galatians chapter 3 and from Ephesians chapter 6. So Galatians chapter 3 verse 11 says this, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Very similar in Galatians, when Paul wrote this letter to the churches there. In verse 28, chapter 3, he says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 6, as Paul is giving some instructions within households, and um, within different circumstances of life, he also happens to deal with slaves and masters. Chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, he says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of hearts, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Verse 7, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And then he addresses masters. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. What's that? In the same way as was just described in verse 7. And he says, do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. I'm going to come back to Colossians chapter 3. 
again. Only this time, a few verses later, in verses 22 through chapter 4, verse 1. Paul writes, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of hearts and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Finally, in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Now, folks, uh, this serves as a background to understand this letter to Philemon. In fact, uh, I, I wanted to choose these portions from Colossians because uh, Paul wrote to the church in Colossae and he wrote this letter to Philemon at the same time, delivered by the same individuals. And so as he's writing this letter to Philemon, this is also something that he has already been writing about, how slaves and masters are to look at each other and treat each other. Only now he's getting really personal. Um, some say it's more like a postcard than a letter because it only contains 335 Greek words in this uh, letter to Philemon. And yet it is so powerful, particularly for its time and particularly for us today. He's writing to Philemon about uh, Onesimus. And Onesimus was Philemon's former slave, or you could say still current slave, who had just run away. Some extra biblical accounts uh, explain that the slave had robbed Philemon. We don't know if it was monetarily or if it was some kind of possession, and we don't know the purpose of it. Possibly so he could pay for his travels to get as far away as possible. And he did get far away. Um, he went all the way to Rome, which was roughly 1,200 miles away. He wanted to go where no one would know him. He wanted to go where he couldn't possibly, possibly be seen by somebody who would say, hey, aren't you Philemon's slave, Onesimus? But while he was in Rome, and we don't know how, some people think, oh, he got arrested, and so therefore he was in prison, and, you know, by God's divine providence, maybe he's right there in the cell next to Paul. Uh, I, I don't think that was the case at this time, because during this time, Paul was free. He lived in his own apartment. He was, he was imprisoned, but he was kind of like out on his own recognizance. Is that the right word? And, and so he was allowed to be on out there and travel. He just couldn't leave Rome. And so there, could you imagine if, if Onesimus, he's trying to run and hide, and yet he, he comes into contact with Paul. Chances are they knew each other. I won't get into that, though. We'll just go with, with more of what we know. We know that that God brought them together in some way. And through that, 
Onesimus' life was forever changed by the gospel. Onesimus, and Paul agrees, was formerly useless to Philemon. He says that in verse 11 of this one chapter letter. And just so you know, Philemon's name in Greek means useful. And so Paul's using a little, see, we don't catch it all in the translations, but when you see what his name was and you see how Paul interwove that in and how that can translate on over, Paul was making a play on words with Onesimus' name. Paul not only appeals uh, to Philemon's forgiving side, but also now describes the former slave as a son and as someone who is useful. Almost like now he's living up to his name. Now I want you to know there were a lot of slaves named Onesimus. He's not the only slave. Just like a lot of people think, oh, well, there's only one Jesus, right? Yeshua. No, there was a lot of, of individuals who were named Jesus. Now there was only one Messiah whose name was Jesus. But there are still a lot of other people. In fact, you know, today... You come into contact with a lot of people whose name is Jesus. They just kind of change the pronunciation of it. Jesus. Right? But Onesimus, I, I love how Paul was able to bring that in here. And, and even something more radically that Paul writes about Onesimus is he states in verse 12 that Onesimus is my very heart. Once a rebellious slave... Onesimus was changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul appeals to Philemon to accept this change and to take his servant back based on two motivations. First, of course, um, is that Paul and Philemon themselves are prisoners, prisoners of God, and they're bound by love. He says that in verses 8 and 9. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and ordered you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. And it says, they were taken captive by the will of Christ, and the second reason is that Philemon and Onesimus now share a bond in Christ. Paul appeals to Philemon for his favor and wants him to do it of his own accord, not because he is forced to do it. He wants Philemon to make the choice himself. To not only do the right thing, but to go beyond what is expected because of his love for Paul and his love for Christ. If you're a parent, you know that can be really difficult to wait for your kids to do the right thing um, without pestering them. Unfortunately, I have a bad habit of that. I'm like, come on. You know what you ought to do. Let's do it. And, and it's like, uh, trying to find that balance between leading and kind of trying to help nudge, but not to whip them trying to do something. 
Because we all know that that's not going to do anything. Okay? It's just behavior modification. You just desire somebody to do something because it's in their heart. Because they recognize it's the right thing to do. Not because they're being forced to do it. And that's what, what Paul wants Philemon to be able to make that choice himself. And this is no, no small request. Not at all. Philemon was asked to forgive someone who had wronged him, to welcome him back with honor, and to work alongside with him for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I entitled this, What Reconciliation Could Cost. What Reconciliation Could Cost. And... Um, as I was looking through this, uh, again, trying to take a, a, a little different spin on what uh, Tim Mackey and the, and the guys from the Bible Project, you know, uh, share with us, um, I decided to look at, at um, the three different characters, Onesimus, Philemon, and Paul. And so uh, what reconciliation could cost Onesimus? Now remember, he's the one who wronged his master. Verse 12 says, I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. We know that he had left. And, and in verse uh, 15, he goes on and he says, Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that he, uh, you might have him back for good. We don't know how long that time period was. We have no idea. But I'm thinking for him to travel 1,200 miles in that day, it's going to take some time. And then for him to have an encounter with the Apostle Paul and through Paul have an encounter with Jesus Christ, and through having an encounter with Jesus Christ, his life was demonstrating a, a, a change. Paul, I don't think, would have risked his reputation or his relationship with someone that he cared deeply for. I'm talking about Philemon here. If he thought Onesimus was just some, you know, fake, some fraud. Somebody was just, okay, well, I'll just do whatever and, and I'll put on a good face and I'll, I'll look good, but yeah, there's no heart transformation. No, I, I think there was definitely a heart transformation. So we can't tell how long this time period was, but when we start putting all these factors in together, we kind of get a pretty good idea. And the fact that Onesimus followed through. So what could it cost Onesimus? Well, one, his freedom. He already had it. 1,200 miles away, chances were he could live the rest of his life as a free man, doing what he wanted to do. He could have continued to live free from Philemon. But he chose not to. A demonstration of a changed heart. He uh, it could have cost him imprisonment or torture. At the very least, a master had the legal right to do anything that he wanted to do with a runaway slave. In fact, it could have cost him his own life because that legal right 
went all the way up to death. And part of the reason was they they wanted to, to squelch any other slaves who might be thinking about doing the same thing that Onesimus did or any of the other slaves. So they would use them as an example and have them killed so it'd be like, okay, see, that doesn't work too good, so you're better off if you stay here kind of thing. It's a deterrent. So Onesimus, it could have cost him his freedom, and it did. It could have cost him torture or imprisonment, and we don't know if it did. We do know, at least at this point, it didn't cost him his life, but he didn't know that. He took steps and actions, and he didn't know what the end result was going to be. So you might be thinking, well, then why go back? Why would he do that? Oh, I believe it's because to do the right thing by Philemon and to obey the Apostle Paul, who is his spiritual father, who let him know that by doing this, you are obeying Christ. Could have cost Onesimus an awful lot. But then let's look at Philemon. Now, Philemon didn't do anything wrong. Okay, there, there's no evidence in this letter that, that Onesimus possibly told Paul, oh, but you don't understand. Yeah, he might be this really nice guy that you think he is, but oh, is he a mean master? We don't have any of evidence of that in Scripture. Paul possibly could have shared that, but he didn't. And so uh, Philemon... He didn't do anything wrong. And if you look at at verse 1, it says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Then drop down to verses 4 through 7. I always thank my God as I remember you, Philemon, in my prayers, because I hear about your faith, Philemon, in the Lord Jesus, and your love, Philemon, for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you, Philemon, will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love, Philemon, has given me great joy and encouragement because you, Philemon, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Man. You look at this letter and, and there's a part of it that, I don't know about you, but there's a part of it I almost want to feel like, uh, no, he had to be bad. There had to be a reason why Onesimus took off. We don't seem to get that indication. But what could reconciliation possibly cost Philemon? I just listed some things. One, money. Money. Why? Because it lost time of Onesimus' service. That was money. So was he going to have to get another slave to replace him? Or he would have had to buy another slave to replace him. So now he's paying the, he paid the price for two slaves to do one work. That's a real loss. Possessions. Um, he was a slave. 
Now, we're not going to get into about slavery. A lot of people, why didn't Paul uh, condemn it? Sounds like he condoned it. We're not going to go there. We don't have that time. Okay? He definitely didn't condone it. He was trying to work within the systems. Jewish law, um, Jews could have slaves, other Hebrews, other Jews as slaves. But after seven years, they were freed. Okay? Now you're talking about Roman law and Greek law and how they looked at slavery and masters is all different. So please, let's not try to get caught up in what we're kind of used to thinking about with slavery from the history of our country or either from others. Okay? We don't have time to unpack that. So please don't hear me saying that, oh yeah, I'm, I'm condoning this. Uh, no. Paul's way of trying to attack this was from the inside out, from individuals. And as individuals could start to understand that we are neither slave nor free, no Jew nor Gentile, nor man, nor woman. That's the gospel message. That we are all the same in Christ. And as individuals would gain that and own that and internalize that, it couldn't help but come out in ways that they would then change their behavior, which would then have the impact on the world. So if he's a possession, he, he lost the ability to be able to sell Onesimus to somebody else. Reputation. The loss of reputation. People were watching to see how he would respond. His family. In, in, in the very beginning, in, in verse 2, it says, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Apphia, our sister, probably, probably Philemon's wife here. And it says, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. So here it is, Philemon and Apphia, they were wealthy. And they used their home as home base. That's the church. And Archippus is either their son or he was a leader within the church. He could have been both. And so they were gathering and they would gather at their home. What would his reputation be? How would people look at him who came to his home, other Christians, but maybe other Christians who were masters who had slaves? Because this letter wasn't just a personal letter to Philemon. It says, to Philemon, to Apphia, to Archippus, and to the church that meets in your home. How are you going to deal with this one, Philemon? I can only imagine the divide. Some who are just like, whoa, okay, is he... Is he really going to look at him as, a, as an equal, as a brother in Christ? No way. Those are slaves. Not equal. 
I mean, okay, maybe Jesus died for them too, but yeah, come on, but we're rich. They're not equal. What about possibly the slaves, the other slaves that were there? How are they going to look upon him? Just things that came to my mind. Respect. Possibly lose the respect from his family members, from the church family, or, or from the other slaves, depending on how he responds to this letter. Relationships. What was going to happen to his relationship with Onesimus? What was going to happen to his relationship with Paul, who is asking him to do something so incredibly difficult? What about his family? And then what about the church? Philemon had a lot to lose. Why risk it? Because Paul asked him to. And because of what Jesus has done for him by forgiving his sins. And because now Philemon and Onesimus are brothers in Jesus Christ. Paul's letting him know that, that Jesus came to, to break down all the stigma and all the stereotypes. You're no longer slave or free. Barbarian, Scythian, Jew or Gentile, man or woman, but you are brothers and sisters in Christ on equal footing. Paul. What could it possibly cost Paul? I mean, man, the guy's already in prison, right? And he's in prison for the gospel. The spiritual father to both of them. If you look in verse 10, he says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. That's a term that's saying, yes, this is my spiritual son. I, I've come to love him. And you know, it's very similar to the terms that he uses with Philemon. And Philemon knows he is loved by Paul. He knows that. Verse 19, the second part of it, but I'll read the whole verse. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. It wasn't trying to be a dig. It really wasn't. Because when I read it, I kind of go, man, that sounds like a dig. You know, it's kind of like, ouch. It wasn't really meant to be a dig, but it was just meant as the reminder. You know that I had the opportunity to, to lead you to Christ. And so it's the same, same thing I've had the opportunity to do with Onesimus. So what could, what could Paul have lost? He could have lost relationships, for sure, with Philemon, exactly, and Apphia, and Archippus, and, and all the rest of the church. He could have even lost relationship with Onesimus, because what if Onesimus goes back and Philemon says, I don't care about this letter. You're dead to me. Figuratively, and guess what? <laughs> I'm going to make it literal, too. There was that chance. See, we don't have hindsight before things happen, right? What's that saying? Hindsight's 20-20 vision, you know, kind of thing. 
It's like, yeah, after something's happened, we can look back, sure, we get to see what happens. But when this letter was written, and when Onesimus went and was part of the deliverer, nobody knew what was going to happen. Also, what could it have cost? Paul could have cost him debt. Because we don't know how much money or what that valuable thing was. But look at verse 18. Paul says, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Charge it to me. That, that's what reconciliation costs. There is a cost. And you know what, I had to put one more in here because it all comes back to um, why do we do these things? Well, we do this because this is what Jesus did for us. So that first, the fourth person that I'm putting, Jesus, what, what could it have cost him? Well, what did it cost him? The one who gave us new life. The one who forgave our sins. He gave his very life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21 says this. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Well, what's the application of all this? I got some questions to ask you. You know I'm always going to ask questions. Um, who do you identify with more? Philemon or Onesimus? Think about that for a second. Onesimus, have you wronged somebody? And you know it. I mean, you know it. You've, you've stolen something from them in some way, shape, or form. You have slandered somebody. You have spoken poorly about somebody. You have withheld love from somebody. I don't know what it is. But you know what to do. You know what to do. You need to seek their forgiveness. But you know what? You aren't sure if you're willing to pay the cost to reconcile. There's a cost, definitely. 
just like there was for Philemon. And I believe that through this letter that God inspired the apostle to write, he's challenging us to pay that as well. Or let me ask you this, do you identify with Philemon? You've been wronged. Even the other person would know it. But whether they own it or admit it or not, you've been wronged. And you're not willing to forgive. I challenge you, are you willing to forgive? As Scripture tells us, as the Lord has forgiven you? Or do you choose to hold on to your hurt and your pain? Verse 14 of Philemon says, But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Dropping down to verse 17. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him, Philemon, welcome Onesimus, as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Men and women, that's our challenge today. God knows who that is in your life. Whether the one that you need to go to and seek forgiveness, take care of that. Or whether it's one in which you just like, nope, you don't understand how badly they've hurt me. I don't. I don't. But I'm not the one you have to convince. Christ does. Christ does. And if he is, he has shown us by his example what it takes, that's what we should be striving to do. You may lose something or you may lose everything in this world but you will gain everything that's important for the next. So what could it cost you? I hope you'll consider that. And I hope that these words that Paul wrote, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. All because of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, um, I thank you so much for your heart for us. That when we were separated, 
you provided the way because you knew we could not do it. And I thank you that the way you provided was Jesus, who willingly, obediently laid down his life so that we could have eternal fellowship with you. So that each and every one of us, young and old, rich and poor, man or woman, slave or free, could be on equal ground at the foot of the cross. I pray that you will give each person the strength that they need to follow through with the obedience that Paul asked of Philemon to forgive and to recognize and to love just like Jesus. I pray all this in his name. Amen.